0: So here we go. All right. So um, here we are, I guess the third episode. Um, I don't want to make this too long. Um, I did listen to the previous one and I realized, sure, man, like that intro got long. And it was just me talking for a very long time. So I just want to get straight into it. Um, If this is the first time you're listening, what this effectively is, is we're trying to have some conversations with people in the world of tech about difficult topics around mental health and so forth. And you know, like mental illness and, 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 and so forth and destigmatizing some of that stuff and just having honest conversations. So today in this specific very cold, what is it, Wednesday, we have, uh, as always, uh, other skulk Skalk Neertling. So I am Scott Fenton, and we also have Candice, which is a very good friend of mine as well, um, who's also going to share a bit about um, her background and some of her story and so forth. So. If you haven't heard about me, I am effectively, I'm just a freelancer in the world of JavaScript. I do a bit of education and teaching as well and so forth. And yeah, I kind of try to talk a bit openly about uh, kind of my own mental health things and so forth. Um, And the same for the two other people that are joining me today. And what we decided um, on uh, given last time and the time before that is what works really well is what we've decided is in the intro when we introduce ourselves, also just do a bit of a check-in in terms of where we are emotionally and how we are feeling. So for me, I think of all the ones we've recorded thus far, this, I'm probably at the best place now, um, which isn't necessarily a very high mark because <laughs> the previous time I was, like I was recovering from carbon monoxide poisoning. So uh, there you go, you know, like it's a low bar. But yeah, like I'm in a good place now. Um, So my second daughter is coming end of July and everything has just been all over the place and things are kind of starting to line up now, fall into place and so forth, which is a bit of a a relief. Uh, No major complaints um, on my side in terms of my emotional health and so forth. Um, Yeah, but touch wood. um, Let's see how it goes next time. So then I'll hand over to other Skalks. It's called Nietling. He is the co-host of this. Um, so I'll let him introduce himself and we'll also just do a bit of a check-in. And then after that, I'll maybe just pick up again and introduce Candace and, and you can take it from there. Right, skulk over to you.
1: Thanks. Yeah, so the other skulk, um, Skalk I um, I'm a founder of a company called Mechanical Inc. Um, but I have also... Uh, you know, for the longest time, I guess since I was I pinpointed at 15, I've been struggling with mental illness of various forms and types. And I've been diagnosed pretty much always with, uh, like generally, uh, health anxiety, but then also depression. And generally the depression tends to be, um, like resistant. It doesn't want to let go. Um, but you know, um, we, we, we work with us, We live with it. We dance with it. Sometimes it gets us down, but. You know, I'm still here, which is good. So uh yeah, and I'm excited with this that we're doing this work because I think even today, um, in 2023, you know, there's still a bunch of stigmas attached to this, even just acknowledging it or talking about it. Um, and there's also unfortunate things like people uh have a they've attached the word weak. To this, so if you talk about this and you acknowledge, you know, you're you're showing a weakness, and you know, showing a weakness is bad. It's, it's it puts you in a vulnerable position, and how people can take advantage of you. Um, so I'm glad we're talking about this and acknowledging some of these things, and then trying to, to find ways to have it not be like that um, in our own small way. And so for my chicken, um, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm in a super scary, strange, but also very exciting point because a client that I've been working with for almost twelve years now, um, I have decided that the relationship I have with them is toxic and not good for my mental health, and so I've decided to walk away, um, which is very, very scary, but. I know, I know it'll be good. I know it'll be fine. I know I'm going to be happy I did this and I should have done this quite some time ago. So I'm in a scary, excited, hopeful moment in my life. Um, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just writing it and I'm just trying to make the most of it. So yeah, that's me. And I'm, I'm handing back to other skulk.
0: Oh, okay. So that is, like, I'm not going to lie, that's longer than a, a big part of actual marriage is lost. <laughs> it's definitely, you know, sure, it's, it's longer than I've actually even known my wife. So sure, man, like that, that's, that must be some intense stuff. Um, I think I have a hunch for, in terms of who that might be, but um, yeah, okay, awesome. Well, all the best of that. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll quickly introduce Candice. Um, I'll leave it up to her in terms of how much she wants to divulge in terms of um, actual peculiar details. But just very broadly speaking, I met Candice the very first time. Uh, she was working for a company that kind of did a lot of community work within the tech space and so forth and when COVID started I think they had a call with a lot of people within the community seeing how they could support them and at that time Justin and I well we are still uh, running Front End Development South Africa and I think we like that's the first time I met Candice but since then we are Paths have crossed a lot, I think, just because we share a lot of overlapping interests. So, you know, there was also in, during COVID, uh, we used to run a lot of like community hackathons and stuff, and she was involved in a lot of companies that actually support um, healthcare professionals during COVID. And so we also organized a hackathon around that in terms of how we can use tech skills to assist them. And then also, she was also a speaker at DevConf last year. Um, where I think the first that was the first time we actually met in person. And um, interestingly enough, I a week ago I came back back from this year's DevConf where I spoke about mental illness and mental health. Um, so that might also be something interesting to touch on in terms of what the response was to that and so forth. But yeah, Kenneth, I'm happy to hand over to you and have you do your own introduction.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Skulk. You've got a very good memory, I must say, (laughs) as to where we met. Um, So yeah, I've been working in tech now since about 2016 after I left university um, as a service worker on an app, for example, initially. And then now I work very much on the marketing and branding side, Building communities um, that really are centered around tech products, work in tech, uh, those are normally the people I cater for quite a lot. Um, I, mental health-wise, I've been on quite a journey. Um, I've had temporal lobe epilepsy since I was born. And so that's always been a little bit of a, a struggle for me in terms of anxiety and concentration and that kind of thing. Um And then most recently, I've actually been diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So that is something that the journey that I've been on probably... Since I first met you, Skulk, um, probably since about when COVID started, um, and it's been quite hectic. But where I am right now, I must say I am the most healed I have ever been in my life. I feel for the first time able to actually speak about it and hoping like maybe sharing a little bit of what I've experienced and thought about around the issue now that I'm feeling a lot more I don't want to say stable because that's such a stigmatized word you know but um feeling a lot more self-validated and healthy in the way i'm thinking
0: okay that's great yeah so um and i think what why so initially i think you reached out to me so i initially asked about um and this is the reason why we had Liesl on last time as well. So I on LinkedIn I asked a bit like, is there anyone who can shed some light in terms of kind of labour laws and stuff around mental illness and so forth? And you know, a, a ton of people actually messaged me, uh, including you, Candice, and Liesl. And um, I think you messaged me because you said you know like it, they, like within you have had trouble navigating the space in terms of hiring. Your own career, but also because you were involved in kind of hiring in in the hiring market as well as someone who facilitates that process um, that you kind of of recommended some people to me. Um, And I think that is also why, like, this conversation, I think, is specifically uh, like is what I've been looking forward to a lot because, excuse me. So, and I think this is the main thing that I took away from DevConf as well. It, It seems like. there's this black hole that is just endless at this point and we don't know where the bottom of it is when it comes to discussions around the intersection between hiring and the relationship between employees and employers and how mental illness and mental health fits into that picture and like i i definitely feel like every time i have a conversation about it like i like it just goes even deeper than i imagined I, i still don't know where this conversation ends and it Feels every time I open that up, it's just like all the stuff comes out. Um, So I'm curious to dive into that a bit more. Like once again, it's like up to you to determine how much you want to divulge. But so you did mention, you know, like the 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 complex PTSD, Um, and I'm curious if you may want to give a high level reflection on what it has been like, not only navigating the industry with that. But also navigating the industry while coming to terms with it. So you did mention, you know, you're a lot more at peace now. And I assume if you were to um, encounter the same things you encountered five years ago, now it would play out very differently. So I'm curious, from a very high level overview, kind of what your experience has been like.
2: Definitely. Uh, thank you. So I think. The, the main crux of my experience has been responsibility and accountability. It's it, When I think about it, it comes down to that. Who is responsible for healing and mental health in the workplace? That's kind of the argument I've had quite... Often And I actually saw this posted on LinkedIn the other day um, Who is responsible for your mental health at work And the answers were like HR Your manager Your The leaders And then You know like The culture But none of those actually said You Like yourself And that was very interesting Because That's kind of the perspective of when you think In the workplace There is some sort of responsibility Of the people in charge Right And so Um I was looking at like duty of care rules and there's a lot of very specific duty of care rules around physical safety. You know, if you're in an office, you can't have the roof falling on you. You know, there has to be toilets. There has to be a lot of very clear guidelines around how you should be treated in the workplace when your physical health is concerned. But I was trying very hard to actually do some research around what is the duty of care towards your mental health? What when you're actually signing up for a company's Like to be an employee there Or to work with them Especially now in this very, very remote world Where you're not in a very physical building But your hours are like how you are measured by, You know, your success is measured By how much time you're online um, And so I was actually doing some research And I couldn't find anything I honestly couldn't And I think if I come down to it That is the crux of all of my sort of frustrations in the working world because there's expectations around mental health care and duty of care but there's no agreements we haven't made any clear like agreements around it you know um there's there's laws around reasonable accommodations have to be made if you come forward and make yourself very vulnerable to discrimination um in my experience to say, look, I need accommodations made. And then how do you measure reasonable accommodations? That's what the law says. Like, you have to go to a lawyer and figure out what that means as someone who's, you know, in this. And I think also it's very hard in any sort of mental distress to be able to clearly understand your rights as an employee. So very often you just want to get out of the situation and then you sign away your rights, you know. That, that's also been something I experienced. And I realized to get to a point where I am today. And that's a really, really sad realization. But I realized that the only control that I actually have is to take my own accountability. And it was really, really hard (laughs) because I've had some, some really, really hard experiences and like at a high level summary, uh, right before, not before, but before COVID, I, um, actually quite, quite a few years before COVID, I was living with someone, uh, working at a company and, I opened up to my manager because I wasn't performing very well. I was really struggling. I was struggling to show up at work. I was struggling to not be very reactive. Now I recognize that as emotional dysregulation, which is a symptom of PTSD, you know? And so um, I was so reactive and I was angry at everybody and I was not working well with the team, honestly. And my manager, we went for a walk and she questioned me about it she was like look there must be something else going on and at that point I literally broke down and for the first time in my life I admitted to someone that I was in an abusive relationship I she was the very very first person I told and I had been with this person for nine years and I was living with them I didn't know how to get out of the situation I was scared and like having PTSD attacks and to be honest very much looking for a hero, looking for someone to save me because I didn't know how to save myself. And she was shocked, obviously. It's quite a lot to hear from somebody. Um, and she did she she took good steps, you know, she said to me, Look, you I'm gonna go talk to the managers managers, figure out what we can do about this, make some reasonable accommodations, you know? I was like, okay, that would be lovely. And then she came back to me. She'd spoken to the leadership team, and what they said to me was, "You can have two weeks of leave. I mean, sorry, two two sessions with a therapist um, that they would pay for." And so that was it. And I was like, "Okay, cool. Try to get a therapist." And I don't know if anyone else has tried to get a therapist when you randomly cold calling like eleven numbers. How many of them answer? Um, I've had my, my, answer was zero. No one answered. And I was so terrified to even reach out again because even to admit it in the first place was scary. And I didn't even want to believe it, you know? And so having, having stepped forward, I, I actually just went all the way back. I was so scared. I never wanted to talk about it again. And my manager never checked in on me, never checked in on me about it again, ever. And so, Thinking back already having displayed that many years ago, the symptoms of PTSD and expressed the need for help, I didn't get it. And then furthermore into that, like I ended up getting retrenched um, by the same company during COVID. Then the result of that meant I didn't have work. A. Eh? <laughs> can't get paid, partial your retrenchment. B, I was stuck in a house with someone who was abusing me and that company knew. They 100% knew what was happening. The leaders, the CEOs, the founders, HR, my manager, they knew and they still made that decision. And that pushed me even further into, I must be crazy. I am, um, you know, you don't, like, how do you ask for help? And I, I really, really, really struggled. That was probably the most dangerous and scary time of my life to be stuck during COVID in that situation and still have to try make it work. Um, because I don't have family I can go to in South Africa. And so that was quite a lonely time, you know. And eventually, I mean, I've had other experiences where during that time where I was freelancing, I worked for companies and I encountered people who were traumatized too and they were my managers and it was so hard because my triggers would trigger them because I needed the security because my hypervigilance was off the charts because I didn't trust anybody for good reason (laughs) Um, and they were traumatized by me being constantly questioning because that was triggering them and then instead of dealing with the situation, it was easier for management to just both let us go, let both of us go. They were like, we're not even going to train. We're not going to lead, no leadership training. Just both of you guys can end your contracts now. And I have such regret because this poor person was traumatized and I, she had very similar experience to me. And eventually I I found a company where someone mutually traumatized, recognized that in me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I found a hero. I found someone who can save me. They understood what I was going through. They understood what I needed. At least that's what I, understood, <laughs> I thought, you know? And so I started working for them and it was really good for a very long time until I actually got out of my relationship. I finally took the step to do that. And I got, um, I ended up having a proper breakdown. (laughs) Um, I ended up looking for, um, I went away. I just like booked a ticket. I flew away and I didn't have accommodation. I went to a random country and that was the start of me knowing I was having a breakdown. Um, but I was so burnt out and I, I just, I ended up being admitted to clinic and honestly, at that point I thought that was the biggest failure of my life admitting I needed help admitting I was at rock bottom um and that's eventually I started learning to be slightly kinder to myself I got a diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder which sort of comes down to they couldn't even pinpoint the initial trauma because it had gone so far back into you know my childhood but also like the abuse then being abandoned by people I thought I trusted and those sorts of things. It, it was just so hard to pinpoint what it was. And because of that, it's really hard to treat. There's no medicine or pills for PTSD. You have to go through those traumas over and over again. And so eventually I came out of my sick leave, which I was told I should be grateful for. Um, and I... Had those same issues that I went in with, except now I could name them and recognize them and start working on them. Except I was working crazy hours. My work, my job, didn't change. There were no reasonable accommodations made for me in in the end. There, you know. And as soon as I realized that, I went to this person who was my hero and I said, "Look, I need help. I can't do this. I need my job to be made." Better. Like I need the responsibilities to be fair. I need burnout can't be the default here. You know, 60 hour days don't work. <laughs> and I was told, no, no, that's not the job. That's you. You're incapable because your mental health is bad. My hypervigilance, my emotional dysregulation. And to be fair, I would have temper tantrums. I would revert to being a three-year-old. I mean, Skok, you've got a little one. (laughs) I'm sure you know. Like, Imagine someone like that in the workplace. It's not someone who's pleasant to be around. It's not someone who's like helpful and actually detracts from the goal. I totally get that. So being in a position of leadership, you have this threat to your team, to your company. And I just was gaslighted that it was me. And it was really, really hard because I mean, there was like threats of, okay, now you must just leave. Even though I had no, nothing bad against my work. Um My work was on point, but I, I had, I had to threaten to go to the CCMA because like, you can't just tell me I must leave. That's not, I'm an employee, you know? Um, and then they wanted to retrench me. And for two and a half months, they basically were telling me, we don't want you to work here, but we're trying to figure out a way to get back to, to get you, get rid of you. Um, and it was insane. And eventually in this like severe state of having to choose between my mental health and my livelihood, the, the way I can survive going forward, I was roped into signing all sorts of contracts because I just needed to get out of that toxicity. Um, Skulk, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Like, there's some level where you're just like, at any cost, I need to get out of this. And to make someone sign an agreement under that and hold them to it is, again, now, now then that's where I keep coming back to that question of, Yes, I needed a hero. I was playing a victim. I was not in a good mindset. I needed help to get to that point, to rest. And now that I have that, I definitely feel I would be capable of handling myself in a working environment very well. But what are those, what is that duty of care? Like, what is that that I should have been helped with? Where if at the very first company where my manager had experienced the same sort of discrimination if that company had sorted it out then and instilled that in them as a leader and brought that, then now I wouldn't have even potential. I like to think I wouldn't have had PTSD, but that's probably not true, you know. Um, but there is a significant amount of damage, uh, damage to my mental health, my livelihood that I've had to shoulder and take accountability for. And I'm glad I have because I'm in a much better space. But what about people who, who, who never get there, not through reasons of their own, because they just suck it up or they don't say anything like I do. And yeah, I've been talking a lot now, but that's the summary.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. Like, I mean, we have you here to talk. So the more you talk, the better, uh, you know, like it's yeah, called Scal- and I only have so much that we can say. That's not the same stuff just over and over again. Um, Sure, that is amazing stuff, Candace. And there's so much to unpack there. And I think that resonates so well with where a lot of my thoughts are and like the discussions that need to be had. Because what makes it so tricky is, as you rightly pointed out, you know, like as as a company, at some point you have to be, we can't take on this liability. But it's also a human. On the other hand, because, so for example, my first job ever that I had, I also, you know, they also I don't want to say retrenched because it was more, it was more informal. It wasn't, you know, like a big corporate or something. Uh, but they effectively also told me like, listen, you know, this isn't working out. Um, and they also did it quite suddenly because I think what happened is they, um, tried because I had a I had a I had a good relationship with them and I considered them as friends I still consider them as friends today um and I think they tried to accommodate me for, for so long and at some point it was just like this is actually damaging the company now like we need to take drastic action sculpt unfortunately we can't continue with this agreement. And that was very sudden. It went from, like, I thought we were still cool or whatever to, I don't have a job anymore. And, like, that was such a rough experience for me. I actually ended up falling into, like, a massive um, depressive episode. I, I like, had I moved back in with my parents. I didn't come out of my room for six months, like, legit. And I, I think my brother spoke to me the other day and he said, like, um, at the time, he just didn't think that much about it. But now thinking back about it, he's like, and I think he was, he was first year university or something, and he's like, sure, man, that was intense. Like that was some crazy stuff. Um yeah, so that very much also I think that kind of colors the way I look at these things as well. But on the other hand, like I can't reasonably figure out what they should have done differently. You know, I think if anything, they shouldn't have made those accommodations. And, you know, I've been in similar situations as well where I've made accommodations for people. And like, man, was just forced eventually. Um, and that is the paradox here. And that's why it's so hard to have these conversations, because... Or everyone who employs people that have mental illness or mental health or so forth feel better because they have to deal with all this stuff and it's not part of their job requirement. You know, you're a manager or whatever, you're not a psychologist. Like you can't deal, you don't know how to deal with this. And people that are struggling with this stuff feel better because they feel like they're not given a fair chance. Um, It is, it is, it is so tough. I like, and like, so I maybe want to share a story um, as a response, because like I've yet to find any answers. I think the best that we can do is sit with that and acknowledge this is insane. And it's we need to figure something out here. Um like because the research I did for my talk at DevConf, uh, so I referenced the Osmi survey. Sculp, I know you are also familiar with the with the Osmi stuff, so the open sourcing mental illness. Um And the survey that I referenced, only a third of people indicated that they have witnessed or experienced an issue around mental health that was treated well. That means two thirds of people, not only experienced, witnessed. Two thirds of people haven't seen a situation around mental health that was treated well in an organization. That is insane. And that means if you take three random people, only one of them have witnessed a good response to a mental health issue but like where do we even start because i've also been in the situation where and and that's the same with like support groups and stuff as well so i've I've co-ran support groups also back in the day and you would have people you'd have people come and they'd have like like mental that have like reality breaks and they'd like start like threatening other people in the group while whatsapp like or whatever, and yeah, it's, it's 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 really tough. I think the best that I can do is I can just empathise with that and, and say that I've been on both sides, and it 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 sucks. It really really sucks. Um, and it, it reminds me of, of of a situation with the talk that I did. Um, so someone reached out to me online after that, and they kind of said, yeah, like uh, they. Sorry, they didn't come up to me and chat about it and whatever. And they said, so they have recently been diagnosed with um, OCD, uh, but specifically around... The indication being most... I'm trying to keep this vague enough that, uh, you know, I don't necessarily um, identify them, um, but specifically around... Um, having like really struggling to compromise um specifically around viewing things as ex- extreme so black and white there's no uh, either your way or my way there's no compromise so they really struggle with that um as part of their OCD and so they said like the the thing that they're struggling with is way when do they when do they share that when do they tell people about that because that has implications in terms of as an employee Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that and I can definitely say that and this is why it's so hard having these conversations because we have to be honest and we have to be honest that if I'm a manager, even as someone who has this long history of mental illness, I'm a manager and I have two candidates, equally skilled, equally experienced, equally competent and one of them has a mental illness, even if it's treated that is an extra liability that I take on. That is extra risk that I take on um, for the company. Uh, is that even fair to the company? And that is that is a hard conversation to have. Um, yeah, I don't know, Candace, whether you have experienced the same thing on the other side as well, because I know you have been involved in kind of tech recruiting and, and tech hiring and so forth. Um in your professional role, I don't know if you've encountered others um where, you know, that was kind of a bit of a like a nuance to the situation and kind of made things of a bit tricky. Um, sorry Candace. Um I just have some thoughts about all
1: everything um here. So first of all, Candace, like I'm so sorry you had to go through everything you went through like it's it's not fair um and secondly it's not your fault um it's it's a system that is broken um it's not you and yeah so i just want to acknowledge that um then this goes right down to the metal as i say like first of all the medical system is broken the fact that people who need help cannot get help simply because of a financial thing is it's fucked up sorry but it is Um, a lot of people will do a lot better if they had the help they need. Um, if you have a really complex mental illness, you should not be sitting in a room with other people struggling with mental illness, trying to deal with it yourself. You need professional help. You may need medication, and both of those are is one hundred percent fine. Um, and on the company side, I think one of the big problems is that most companies are still run like factories. And we're all a cog in the, in the thing. And as soon as it gets too squeaky, you, you get rid of it. Um, you try and oil it. If it doesn't work, get rid of it. It's just easier. Uh, it's cheaper. It's less complex. You don't have to deal with it. That is why you will find a lot of people who struggle, who not struggle, who live with disability, find a hell of a time finding work. Because why should I employ you? God damn it, you're blind. This is going to be a problem for me. It's like, no, it's not a problem for you. It is another human being saying, "I have something to offer you. Forget about the fact that I'm blind. Give me a give me a fair shot at this. But then set up an environment that works for me, and I'll show you the rest." I think it's this whole idea that 95 and you need to be there. And if those hours don't work for you, you're not going to work for the company. I mean, we've we've evolved <laughs> a lot. We've shown that this can work. Uh, the fact that some people are still being hard-assed about this is just it's their problem honestly they they need to step back and, and realize that you pay for people's um, medical um and if they're in a car crash and they end up in the hospital you don't judge them for that you don't say why the hell did you go and do that it's like it's an accident it's right there in the in the word um but somehow when you have a mental illness it's your problem and you deal with it Or they'll buy a subscription to one of these apps and say, there, you know, problem solved. Just, you know, open the app every day, do what they say. And not not to throw shade on those things. It's helpful. I mean, holy cow, the the therapist I'm at at the moment, when I started at him, one of the first first things we did was I did a course um, like mindfulness-based stress reduction MBSR. That changed everything, honestly, like the medication, like he diagnosed me better than any psychiatrist previously has. So the medication I'm taking is also a lot more effective, but being able to really connect to what is preventing me from living the life I want to, that I got there through being mindful about my life, being mindful about things around me, being more appreciative of of what's around me. And honestly, being willing to say, this is not okay. I'm not okay with this. That is why I got to this point with this client that I've been at for so long, I just got to a point where I was like, I'm not okay with what's going on here. I'm not okay working with other people who are unhappy. I'm not okay with a leader calling people out in meetings in front of other people as if you're in school, not that it's right there. But you know, that's the analogy I can use. Um, I'm just not okay with that anymore and I don't have to be okay with that anymore. I can take my, you know, I can stand up for me and say, I'm done with you. You don't own me. You think you might, but you don't. And I can walk away and I'll be fine. Um, but I do think we need to acknowledge that it's not, you have a responsibility. You have to want to get better. It's like alcoholic. I mean, I've been there. I've been super I've been an alcoholic 100% because I was self medicating, trying to cope. Um, and I had to reach a point where I was ready. Where I tried million, a bunch of times, didn't work because I wasn't ready because I was still looking for an answer. Once I could get in touch with myself and acknowledge that, once I could tell myself, you know what, you're a semi functioning alcoholic. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, that's true. I had to own that. And then I was ready. And then it happened. But I had to get to that point and I, I had to work through things. And thankfully, because of this remote thing, I was able to structure my days in a way that I could make it work for me. But it's when you're not allowed to find something that works for you. And of course, you if, you, if I are I, my own company, I have responsibility towards my clients and towards myself and towards my family. But I have the freedom to be able to, and I know I'm in a privileged position to be able to do that, um, I have the flexibility to change how I work when I work to fit me. And therefore I can be effective. As soon as if I lose too much control over that, I can immediately see the negative impact it has on everything around me. So yeah, I think um, it's hard, but there is a solution here. It's just, we need to break out of the box that we've been in for so long. And, And like it is, weird and strange and scary for me to have broken out of my box, it will be weird and strange and scary for companies and individuals and managers that now suddenly have to deal with flawed human beings trying to do the best they can um, with what they have to work with. So I acknowledge it's hard on everybody, but we need to acknowledge that it's hard on everybody and then give everybody their fair chance to say what they want, and then work with them and see where where it leads to.
0: Well, thanks for jumping in there, Scott. Um, like I, I, I think I maybe got a bit too uh, caught up in, in the stuff that that Candice raised, and I was just like I wanted a response immediately. Um, but what I appreciate there as well, and, and, and it just shows how multifaceted this thing is, uh, is that. I think you kind of where you're at and where your head is at around these things at the moment is very colored by that experience, that quote unquote breakup that you are going through now. Whereas for me, this morning, I actually had a call with the client where I actually said, "Like, listen, um, I'm, like, I feel I haven't delivered up to standard the last two months. Um, I've been having a really hard time, um like this, like this, the, the second daughter that's coming and all of that, that has been much more demanding on me. And, you know, like, I, you know, real talk, like, uh, two nights ago, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't fall back asleep just because there's so much going on at the moment. And it's just like, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, not emotionally, but like mentally. Um, so I think I, come into this conversation now having had that meeting a bit earlier where i own up to that i'm like sorry guys i failed i dropped the ball and where i very much see how like i need to also you know i need to manage that and then if i don't manage that that's on me um but i think like this is what what's so great about having this conversation like as a discussion instead of just use sculpt like writing your thoughts on this or me writing my thoughts on it just so low is that is so multifaceted and we are so colored by where we are right now and how we relate to this. Um, But yeah, Candice, I'm I'm very curious to first and foremost hear your response to um, the stuff that that Skalk raised and also maybe to talk a bit about whether you found yourself on both sides of this kind of employee-employer relationship.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I definitely have I think I mean just to respond to what Skulk N said Just because it's hard Doesn't mean we shouldn't do the hard thing You know, and it's hard for everybody And I think Also speaking to what you said Is where we are now matters, right So I've just come off of a three month sabbatical I have been on leave for three months So I mean, it has been the best time of my life Like I say, I feel healed I had that time to rest I had that time to Really, I, I met the most amazing life coach, um, by serendipitously, by accident. And, um, he really taught me how to be kinder to myself. And as soon as I started being kinder to myself, I stopped being so defensive. I stopped being. I, and then it became easier to take accountability For my role in the thing I was doing And in in the the sort of life I was creating Instead of being a victim that things happened to I started becoming an agent Someone who actively creates my life You know, and instead of seeing villains everywhere I started seeing them as challenges And like challenges to learn from And I really, the the biggest sort of tool I was able to learn, because I was able to take a step back and find myself, as you said, skulk in, (laughs) um, is I learned about expectations versus agreements. Now, I'm a linguist so by trade, so I'm a bit of a nerd, Um, and language matters you know so when you have when you sign a contract firstly there's a whole lot of legalese which is really hard but there's also a whole bunch of expectations that are not necessarily in the contract it's not we haven't had a discussion about it it's not there but like i expect you to behave in a certain way i expect you to do all of these things and what josh said to me was expectations are useless they don't necessarily do not require a conversation they are not based and rooted in something we have agreed to do so he said instead of holding yourself to expectations and holding others to expectations have the conversation make a formal agreement and I think now and being in tech there's a very I'm not in tech I'm tech adjacent I would say um but I'm very much I because of that I, I experienced the privilege of being in a tech world where companies are actually held accountable to their values they are held accountable to their brands and maybe you know like if 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 like you said um we have these sort of corporates That think of people as like factories You know Um, If you're working for a company like that You can expect that they're going to treat you like that Now we're in a position Where you can find a company They say they are committed to mental health They offer that as part of their packages So they are acknowledging That they have a duty of care So in terms of like If I am someone And this is something I've experienced I've worked with people who don't take accountability They don't go, okay, I've got a role to play here too. I've got to like also put my little bit in. But I've also been in the position where I've tried everything and I'm really just trying and I'm trying in the wrong ways because I don't have the right tools. But uh, my intention is fully there. I think people like that should be given the opportunity to sit down and have an agreement. So when you sign a contract with an employee, like a very practical solution I've thought could really work is – when you sign a contract with a new employer, ask them to put down their duty of care, especially if you know you have a mental health problem. Yes, it requires you to be vulnerable, but I do think we are in an industry where actually we disclose up front in applications our mental health status, um, and especially if you're applying overseas, you know, and... So why not everybody like disclose what you're working with and ask them to disclose what they're working with so we can make an agreement around what is your duty of care towards me? And if, if that feels quite vulnerable brands, because I really much believe in, in companies that have good brands, they really are, they have values for a reason. Put it in your values. Show people what your duty of care is upfront, put it on your website. I don't care about your founding story. Tell me how you're going to treat me. Tell me about that. You know, that is something, especially it indicates to someone who is willing to do the work that you're willing to do the work too. Because just because it's hard for both of us doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, you know? Um, and I would go to the ends of the earth for someone who's really struggling, but really, really trying. But someone who keeps living in that toxicity. And I was there, like my toxic trait is codependency. I definitely lean into that and I'd lose myself to it. And so and now I am aware of that. I've done the work. I know my triggers. I know the things that to recognize if other people start saying these things. Oh, okay. I'm going into my toxic side. I know I'm bad about myself. And so I can use the tools I've learned. And, but I had to go through so much to get to a point where I could even recognize have the language to know what I'm dealing with and I think those aren't hard leadership can teach people that there are courses out there so education especially at a management level is another thing I think I've never received mental health training and I've been a manager and so that is is wild as well so yeah again stipulate what do you do what is your actual commitment like i don't want free therapy sessions i'm sorry that's not that's (laughs) you know therapy is a is a plaster or a solution um like i want to also have some proactive attempts from people i'm working with and i want to that's actually what i want to invest my time in helping companies do is find real ways to invest in people so that this is a preemptive thing you know
1: It sounds very much like uh, the code of conduct that you add to an open source project. Um, For uh, people in the LGBTQ world and um, people who are women and people who have generally not had a great experience, if they open a repository on GitHub and there's no code of conduct, they turn away immediately. Um, Because that shows, one, you haven't thought about it. And second, if you now add it, will you actually enforce it? Because again, like you said, Having a code of conduct adds responsibility to both sides because it's, you know, it's like adding a license to something that says you cannot use it this way. But then if somebody uses it this way, you do not enforce that. Then it's just letters on, on, a, on, you know, ink on a page. It's, it's not. So a code of conduct puts the responsibility on the maintainer and it puts responsibility on the contributors. If you adhere to this, we'll have a great relationship. If you step over the line, me as maintainer has a responsibility to to deal with it. And and by having this code of conduct, I have agreed to it. And by you contributing, you've agreed to it. So now we are both into this boat together.
2: Yes. Agreements over expectations.
0: <laughs> mm. Do you think maybe we as a society and specifically a tech industry don't necessarily have the language to discuss those agreements um and what i've definitely found is that it's not what i found in my experience and you know this being very anecdotal is that from ma- a managerial side it's very hard to have these honest conversations because you have to say things that are possibly going to come across as not great i think it's because maybe we, as a society, are so sentimental about these things. We're like, everyone, be the best you can be. Everyone has value, you know, um, like everyone's beautiful in their own way and like all this flowery stuff. And we don't necessarily have the language to sit down and, with someone and say, this is what I need of you. Like, listen, like our agreement is conditional. There are conditions. If you don't show up to work, and so forth and so forth and so forth like that, like this relationship is not going to continue um like but in order to have discussions around that in terms of mental health like we also need to have the language to say like listen for me a non-negotiable is that you're like like it's treated you know like you seek out treatment and you manage it um it's and i think it's just always like we're so scared to even i often joke and i say that you know one of the biggest frustrations for me um, about opening up about my mental illness and so forth is that people immediately treat me different. Um, like I often joke and I say it's like as if people are like, I, I I I can't say mean things to Scott because he's gonna he's gonna kill himself if I criticize him, you know, like, and, and that's so frustrating, like, just be real with me. Um, and I think it's, it's like, to a certain degree, sometimes people overcompensate and they're too scared to have honest, real conversations. Um, and that might, like, and so maybe that's just an issue of, like, something that's not malice, but it's just, like, they're just not equipped to have those conversations. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Planet.
2: I don't know if we don't have the language, because I think... Potentially, we don't make the spaces that are safe enough. Because I've heard many people willing to come, everyone's willing to complain, right? Like, even if you don't exactly know, this is what I'm struggling with. If you talk to someone else who does, if you have that opportunity, you can learn. And that is really what I have struggled with is as soon as I've had the guts to speak out and I'm someone who doesn't, like, I don't, I think this is probably the reason why I've had so much conflict in my working life is I don't keep quiet When something bothers me I want to make it better For myself And for other people Because I don't think It's right to treat people In a certain way But I can't imagine How many other people Are keeping quiet And just You know You just keep quiet So you can be grateful Because you have a job And I think There are people in leadership who know they do know because they are humans too they also have mental health issues they have the vocabulary but they also are on this high horse and if they make themselves vulnerable then you know how many people are willing to make themselves vulnerable I think that is the real problem is if leadership isn't willing to be like I struggle too and we need to make sure it's right And I don't think everybody's going to do that I really don't I think money and capitalism matters more Unfortunately that's the way our society is as much as we want to potentially change it and it might change and potentially if enough people make a stand it can change but what we can do is in our spaces in my company that I start I'm going to have values I'm going to have a duty of care that is very clear so that anyone who signs a contract knows this is what I promise you and what I expect from you in return like this is the agreement we are making because then in my company I am making a safe space and here at the you know mental health and tech podcast there is a safe space to talk about these things and the more safe spaces we go around creating hopefully there becomes an ecosystem that becomes a safe space but like I say there's always going to be those people who care more about money than about people and that's because they haven't done the work yet unfortunately and they don't have the intention to change that so again Bless, send them on their way, you know, focus on those people that are here, are showing up and it might unfortunately be quite a small amount, but I I hope that I can make the world feel a little bit safer for those who I encounter by doing what I think is right. I don't know if that's a little bit like, be kind to everyone, that's a bit of the trip I'm on right now, um, but it, it, it really... That's why, where I want to put my effort into things I feel I can control.
0: Yeah, so I I think someone also spoke to me um, after, after the talk at DevConf conference they asked me, you know, like, as a, as a manager, what can they do? And, like, honestly, my response to them was just try and just be a good manager. There are so many bad managers out there You don't need to go out of your way to actually empower people that struggle with mental health, mental illness, or even if it's just acute. Like, let's say someone is just going through a rough patch in their life. You don't have to go out of your way to accommodate them and be like, okay, is there anyone here who needs to chat about emotional stuff or whatever? Like, just be reasonable. Try and be a good manager. I think the bar is so low. I'm... Sorry to say, but I think the bar is so low that if you want to make a difference, just be a good manager. Um, I've had some awful managers in my life. I've also had some great managers. And those managers, once again, haven't gone out of their way to be like, I want to be the best manager ever. They were just like, how can I be reasonable? Skull, how can I help you? How can we figure something out? Um And yeah, like, I I think there's almost an entire conversation to be had just about the state of middle management in tech. Um, but yeah, like, I I think that's also the the thing is that it's, it's not even just about mental health or so forth, because what I have found before is if it's not real, it's more harmful. If someone is like, come talk to me, I'm here for you, like you know, like you can trust me or whatever, but it's not sincere, and it's not coming from a place of me as a human towards you as another human, beyond all this kind of economic relationships that we have, um, where someone thinks, oh, that's what a good manager would do. So, in order to be better, quote unquote, at my job, I need to be a better, I need to be a nice guy or whatever but it's not sincere because the moment, like the, 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 the I feel like skull niedling has now kind of like opened the, opened the, the genie bottle here and now, now swearing is like a, is like a, 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 something that has been settled here. Now this is a swear, a, a free fall in gentle swearing. Um, it's like, and now I'm going to be very underwhelming and use the word crap. Um, <laughs> so, but, um, like when the, when, let's say, when the ship hits the fan, like, That's, I think it's more harmful if you have someone who tries to care, but they don't really care. And when it comes down to it and then things are on the line, they're like, sorry, buddy, like, you know, we need to make money or or whatever. And I, I think maybe this is where I'm coming from. What's kind of shaping my ideas around this is can we maybe have those hard conversations up front, like hard conversations around, like, listen, you know, we aren't friends. Period. You know, our relationship is not a relationship that is actually built on top of friendship. Like, we need to acknowledge that. We need to be real about that. If you pretend that it is, like, we can't, I think you can't develop a relationship where someone, and I I often tell people, don't necessarily seek support from the people that you're working with. Because, and I might change my mind around that at a later point, i definitely flip-flopped on this, but I do think there's a danger... In building a support network where your relationship is conditional, where someone can show up tomorrow and say, because of nothing you did, because of circumstances outside of my control, this relationship needs to stop now. Um, I don't know, like to me, it feels like trying to build that support network in type of in, inside these economic relationships that we have is maybe asking for trouble. I don't know, like I've definitely made a lot of great friends in in, in companies. But yeah, I'm wondering whether like. I'm, I'm curious in your circumstance, Canvas, do you think it would have been better if you seek out that support and as you call the quote unquote a hero outside of your professional life?
2: I think so. Um... Although I'm coming very much to realize that any relationship is, any good relationship has boundaries. And whether that's a, you know, a romantic relationship or a professional relationship, you need to know those boundaries. And I'm, I can happily admit that I had none. I didn't, and I got exploited for it. People, you teach people how to treat you, right? And if you don't set boundaries around how you're going to be treated, then People are going to expect and expect and expect because that's you don't have boundaries, so that's your fault, actually. Um and that's when the self-accountability comes in. And I have to like Brene Brown is my absolute favorite, and she's always big on like one of her quotes is clear is kind. And if I was clearer up front, and I if I had a manager who helped me set good boundaries And I'm not saying they have to maintain the boundaries But they have to leave room for boundaries, right? But that also requires some sort of intent on their side Is like, like you say, have the conversation upfront. Like, look, we're going to be friendly But I'm not your friend You can be vulnerable with me But you can't be unprofessional You know, like, there, there's, there's a very fine line between Oh my gosh, you're my hero And you're someone who's coaching me And I really think we need to look, because if, if, as a hero, if you're looking for a hero, that was my mistake, was I was looking for someone to come and rescue me. They had the agency. I was expecting someone else to come into my life and action something. But if you take the view of being a creator, You can have a coach who can give you advice and they can cheer you on from the sidelines, but they're not in the driver's seat. They're not the ones actively pushing things. And the second you treat yourself like you don't have agency in your life, then everything is going to beat you up. Like it really will, because you're not stepping into that power of, I'm intentionally going to have this kind of relationship with you. I'm intentionally going to, Set a good boundary here because as much as you might be a great person, you're still my boss at the end of the day and we're going to have to have hard conversations. Um, and I think that especially in the startup world where everyone is young, like in your 20s, you know, like early on in your career, that's where a lot of damage can be done because everyone is so young. No one has the skills or potentially very few people have the skills to communicate that clearly and set those boundaries clearly. And then suddenly you're not a startup anymore, but this person is actually your friend. And now you don't have any basis for what does a professional community, like relationship look like. And that worked probably in my advantage when I got a raise, it probably worked in my advantage when, you know, um or to their advantage when I worked overtime for them. But at the end of the day it didn't work in either of our advantage when we couldn't communicate on very important topics because we didn't have a, a basis of communication because you 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 know you dance nicely around the the raised topics and the the hard topics but you never clearly stated it until it's a problem
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I agree with that. I, th- I think um, what you said earlier plays into that 100%, and that's the fact that we need to create safe spaces. And it's safe spaces for everybody because, you know, the, you need to feel safe, but so does the manager um, or, you know, the CEO. Every You know, everybody has the right to feel safe and feel safe to be vulnerable. It, it's a question that I'd, I'd love to ask more widely is, um, and I mean, when I say that, I mean, like, to a bunch of people. Like, why have we gotten to this point where we are so scared of being vulnerable? Like, what is going on in the world that we we really feel that being open about who you are, what you are, what you are struggling with, or even what's going well or just not so well? Like, why have we gotten to this point where we have a real predator-like fear of going there? Um, because that, you know, that signals that there's a larger problem that needs to be addressed. And I mean... One of the things that we did in the MBSR course is, um, which I learned, and it's something that I still struggle with, but I've gotten better at it, is uh, conflict and avoiding conflict specifically. Avoiding conflict actually does more damage than engaging in a conversation. The problem I have found that I have with conflict is that I didn't—I've never felt safe in an environment. So it's always been, it wasn't a conversation. It was a, you got to prove you're right or, you know, things are going to end badly for you. So it's not a safe space where you can have a conversation and where the conclusion can even be that you agree to disagree. It's like, no, you're going into this fight and you better win because if you don't, you're going to, you're going to, you know, shit's going to be bad for you. So I think it's, it all boils down to that being able to be vulnerable and feeling okay with it because you're in a safe
2: space. It's interesting that you said there, we want to win. And I think that is what comes out of a very capitalist-driven society where money and winning as a startup and winning successfully, that is what winning is. Success is measured by how much you earn and how big your house is and how fancy a car you have. Success isn't measured in the success of our community. Are people healthy? Or do we have water? Is there electricity? Uh, you know, like success isn't measured by things that... Are human Success is measured by monetary gains and that doesn't benefit the majority. It really doesn't. And those who it does benefit are happy to perpetuate that, unfortunately, because it does benefit them. And I recently, I, I wasn't speaking to my mom for the longest time and it was, I had expectations on her that I wanted her to save me. I needed a hero. And I realized that I was setting expectations on someone I'd never even spoken to about it. And she... Eventually, I was, what was I trying to win? I wanted her to admit she was wrong and I was right. And at the end of the day, I couldn't even remember what we would, we had fought about. And I was like, I'm, I'm losing out on my mom and my brothers feel awkward and my grand feels awkward and the whole family feels awkward because we're not speaking. And I just wanted to, I What all I can win is being right. And I think. Our measures of success and our measures of what is weak if we don't achieve that success is what binds us to these sort of concepts that if you really go under the surface, most people won't agree with that. You know, they would agree that I'd rather feed the family next door than go overseas on a holiday, like in theory. Right. Um, yeah.
1: I'm um, sorry, I'm just sorry, Skull. Yeah. I just have one last thing because that that actually oh, yeah. touched a nerve there with your mom. Um so uh my dad passed away about four years ago from cancer, and um for the majority of my life with my, my dad, we had a very complicated relationship. Um and part of it was and and at the near the end, he admitted this to me and to himself is that He was so, it was so ingrained in him, the things he did at work. He worked for the state um, back in the day. Um, And so, you know, it's a very, very like dry, very high pressure environment that he worked in. Um, And it's very driven by what is your title? Where are you on this ladder? Um, You know, if I'm above you, it's my, you know, I enforce things down, like that kind of thing. And that bled into, his his life and how he treated people around him. He was never um, physically abusive or anything like that, but I never felt comfortable having a conversation with him. It always felt like it's going to end up being an argument and I would avoid that because I was avoiding conflict. And when he opened up about that, we had the most amazing relationship for about the last two years of his life. And I'm... I'm still finding it hard to come to terms with it because I feel I was cheated out of years, like 40 years of having a really great relationship with my dad. I missed out on that. And it's partly because he was in that thing where he didn't feel safe and he felt he had to defend who he is and that he he deserves to be in the role that he is in this governmental thing. And he tried to also orchestrate that within his household. And in fact, it, it broke down relationships because then nobody really felt safe. Nobody felt they could be truly who they were. And so I think, you know, it, it comes right from our families and it boils out, or maybe it comes from up top and boils down. Either way, we're all cheated out of relationships that was could have been really meaningful. Um, and we only realized that, unfortunately, too late. And, you know, that sucks. Yeah.
0: I like Shohan, Like uh, I think most upper-class people have strange relationships with their, their parents and their parents um, in this day and age. But um, I think from my side, and, and once again, you know, we're so coloured by our actual physical experience in terms of how we think about these things. I think from my side, what I do see is a lot of this already starts very early on as students and so forth, uh, because I do a lot of teaching. Um, I t- taught at several universities and so forth. And um, I definitely see there already like you are not encouraged to set boundaries. As a student, you're not allowed to have boundaries. If, the lecturer says, so "Sure, you know," like I, I think there's the general, there's the general sentiment that, um, okay, you know, there's students that don't know what's best for them or whatever. And, yeah, and some of them are just like taking chances and whatever. But what I, what, I, what I think I found, I find so gross that I see every now and then is the sentiment that, like, they're not allowed to have demands or boundaries or whatever. They're students. So if that this paper needs to be in tomorrow, sucks to be them. Suck it up. You're a student. Life is hard. Um, I think a lot of it already comes from that. And you know, even our schooling system. Um, and once again, this doesn't like, and I'm saying this is someone with a kid that's also taking chances and, and whatever. But like think maybe sometimes we throw out the, the baby with the bathwater that we don't teach people to actually set boundaries by saying you're not allowed to have boundaries. You don't know what's good for you. You can't make demands of me. I'm the adult here. You listen to me when you want to be relevant. And I think you, you kind of grow up with the sense that you're not allowed to have boundaries and you need to proactively pro- like protect yourself all the time because you can't enforce boundaries. I don't know. Um, but that's like the entire podcast of so. itself. <laughs> yeah yeah, but we probably need to stop it. Sorry, no, sorry I just wanted I to was...
2: say one more thing on that is I definitely agree schooling like why don't we teach people things like my biggest frustration is no one taught me how to say no like just say no like stop people pleasing no one taught me how to set expectations and no one taught me how to deal with my emotions because if I got emotional it was like stop being a drama queen go to your room you know like it wasn't no one taught us that. And those are skills. I would much rather learn that than many other things I learned in high school. I'm not going to lie. You know, those are things that we should be teaching children. And right now is when I when my friends have children, I try to teach them those things. I don't have any kids myself, but I think that's where we can start taking responsibility, is raising generations and educating the younger generations. To have these skills that we know exist, that the Buddhist monks knew exist, that Jesus Christ talked about, you know, no matter what uh, sort of teacher you have, there are these teachings and those are the things we need to be educating people on at a young, young level.
0: So maybe that's a good place to end off um, because I also wanted to say like I, I find that one of the problems with these type of discussions um, is that there's no logical point where you can say okay cool this is a nice place to wrap it up because if you every answer just spawns like 50 different extra conversations. Um, so I think what Sculpt and I have found is that eventually you just need to say, all right, I guess time's up. We need to start wrapping this up now. Just leave whatever hasn't been like tied up nicely the not just to be <laughs> open-ended. Um, but yeah, I think from my side, what I found is really cool to end off with is maybe just sharing anything that you found helpful, um, whether it be a book or any resource or something, um, whether like also I've been in the scope of your life or very recently. So I'm curious, Candice, whether there's anything that you found very helpful um, in terms of your own
2: journey. Two things. The first one is be kind just be kind to yourself, be kind to everyone, give yourself a break. (laughs) Like once you start doing that, it's much easier to understand where other people are coming from to, you know, stop being so stressed. The second is meditation. I, and I don't say do meditation because it's good for you because it's healthy or, but meditation has taught me the real value in mindfulness and I can meditate with my eyes open. I can meditate to sounds, to movements. Like I've managed to meditate for 20 minutes a day and that has helped me with all of my mental health issues. It's helped me be attentive. And there's an app called Waking Up, which I use. Um, it's got a free seven day trial and it's amazing. It literally has a piece of education before the, the guided meditation. And so it teaches you the value of meditation and the value of just starting again. Even if there's nine minutes, like you're nine minutes in and there's one minute left. Just be kind. You messed up. Just begin again.
0: <laughs> I I actually hate meditation. That's why I should actually do it. Uh, I found that the more, the less you enjoy it, the, the more you should actually do it. I hated it oh, too. I
2: legitimately, I hated <laughs> meditating a month ago, a month ago. And now I swear by it. I promise you, if you just meditate because it's Good for you, and because everyone says you should, it's not good enough. You have to really see the value in why it's useful for you. Um, yeah. Um, by the way,
1: on, on the topic of meditation, um, I would look up Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, he's a Buddhist monk we used to be, um, he passed away last year, but um, you know, just listen to him meditation is what you decide it is. Uh, there is no doctrine. If you add a doctrine to meditation, there's no meditation anymore. So there is a thing called walking meditation. So if you find that sitting still in lotus position with everything being quiet doesn't work for you, that's okay. Maybe go walk around the block and just be quiet and just listen to what you can hear for the amount of time it takes you to walk around the block. That's meditation as well. For my wife, it's knitting. Um, I think you need to find what works for you. The the big thing, the most important thing is to be by yourself and starting to be okay with being by yourself. For the longest time, I didn't want to be with myself. I truly hated myself. So I wouldn't want to be with myself. And that was the hardest part in the beginning. And I could also not do the silent one. I can do it now because I'm okay with being with myself. But in the beginning, I needed something i mean in terms of the apps like i've used waking up and also if you can't afford waking up you can drop a mail to the folks who are waking up and you can get it free for a year and if after a year you still can't afford it just send a mail again they give it to you for free again if sam harris is problematic for you just let it go it's okay you're missing out if you don't use the app there's good stuff in there forget that sam harris is beyond it all um i'm not saying i have a problem but i know there's some people that do um, if you want something ex- different um Try Insight Timer. I love it. Um, I'm a teacher on there as well. So, and it's completely free. There's there's stuff you can buy, but on the free, there's a lot. The community there is amazing. And in the other side, that's what I'd say. Find a community, find your tribe. Because one of the things that made me do the thing I did this week was the people that that's around me. And that's my family, but it's also the community I have. Because being able to go to them and saying, I'm going to do this scary thing. And people coming and saying, You got this. We got your back. You can do this. We believe in you. That made all the difference. So, you know, find your tribe and contribute and they'll have your back when you need to do scary things. Nobody can go this alone. We need, we need support. So yeah, I would say that inside timer, like waking up great. And for meditation, think about it as finding a way to be with yourself and it's going to be tough, but you'll get there. And it's important that you get there.
0: Oh, awesome. Can I ask that you just pop these links in, in the description? Uh, also, just get some of these links uh, from Candice as well, um, because I've definitely been in places where I've heard these type of things. And then I try to figure out, OK, how do you spell it? Am I miss here, like a letter or something? Um, and then eventually, I get it. Google, Google goes, did you mean Insight? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the one. Um, cool. Okay, thanks so much, Skull. Thanks so much, Candace. Um, this has been great. Um, I would love to do a second one of it as well. Um, yeah, and, and then thanks for being open and honest. Um, like, I very much appreciate it. And um, I think I had some moments at, at the conf where I think, especially the night when I went to the hotel, I was like, oh crap. Okay, why did I go and do that? Like, you know, like no one asked me to go on a stage and in front of 900 people kind of just share about my body, dysmorphia, where I thought like my face was skew and I went to a plastic surgeon because I thought it was so distorted. Uh, and I was like, geez, Scott, why'd you go and do that now? Um, but yeah, so it's it's just really encouraging you to talk to other people and you're like, no, these things are valuable. The things that you, you wish didn't happen, the things that you wish you could make disappear and those are the stuff that's really valuable. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Um, and then, yeah, see you guys, I guess, on the next
1: one. Thanks. Thanks so much, Colton. Thanks for, for talking For talking and going to these conferences and speaking. It is important.
2: Yeah. Thanks for making a safe space. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> for, for, for making this a safe space. <laughs>
0: Yeah and thanks for sharing
2: that. It was not easy, not going to lie, very scary, but I've been I've had this in my mind for quite a while. So, yeah, thank you.